All right. Awesome, guys. Hey, before the kids leave, anybody graduate yesterday? No. They're not here. Those kids are here. Any families that are here visiting uh, for just kind of joining the graduation ceremony this week? Anybody here? Welcome. Again, just wanted to just say a quick shout out uh, to those families too, and uh, a lot of big stuff going on here, so that's awesome. Also had a really cool wedding yesterday. Anybody here from the uh, the Dorrance uh, Resto wedding? Anybody here too? It was a lot of fun. It was out on Gunsight Bridge. It was a beautiful day, beautiful day. So welcome. I just want to take the time to say hello. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we're so excited that you're here. And we've been going through a series entitled Walking with Giants, where we've been taking a look at um, a lot of the, the men and women of the Old Testament and kind of taking a look at their lives and some of the things that they did, uh, the trials and tribulations they went through, how God used them in amazing and mighty ways. And uh, if you've been with us, we've gone through Adam and Eve, we've gone through Abraham, Isaiah, Hannah. Uh, last week we are at Hezekiah. And... Uh, and as we've been going through these two, I have kind of one just initial question for you guys. And this is the first slide too, but kind of an initial question for I want you all to think about this morning. Do you believe God has placed you in a strategic place to do amazing things for his kingdom? And that you would be used mightily by God. And I ask this rhetorically, but I want you to think about that. And I want you to kind of wrestle with that question. Do you believe that? And today we're going to take a look at the book of Esther. As Mark was saying earlier, this book of Esther, it is an awesome, awesome book. I love it. It is so rich and so beautiful. And there's so many themes throughout this book that are just absolutely amazing. And again, just kind of a quick... History. I'm going to try and do just a, a brief history and kind of bring us up to speed on a few things too. But I want you just to just to kind of come with me here too. I mean, we talk about the story of Esther, but but folks, this is something that this is a story, but this is a story that really happened. That was so true, and it's it's almost the story has almost just a, a fairy tale esque um, just magnitude of it. And it's just so beautiful and power that we almost kind of fall into oh, just like this story fairy tale. But this is something that that really happened. And, um, and God really used this story as an example of how he redeemed his people. Um, again, from the main character of Esther too. But um, it takes place about five, 500 BC, give or take 20 years, in a city called Susa. And this city um, was, uh, in, in modern day right now, it's, the city of Susa is about 150 miles north of the Persian Gulf. It'd be in modern day Iran. Um, and it still exists. You can go there. Um, and you can dig through the ruins and so forth and so on. And um, again, for those of you who know too, a lot of the, the Jewish people are in Babylonian, Babylonian exile, were in places like this too. And, and Susa was one of the, the capital cities of the Persian Empire at this time too. Um, and uh, a lot going on here too. Nehemiah was a cupbearer in the city of Susa, and David or Daniel spent some time there too. Um, but I want to just, uh, as we begin here too, we're going to dig into Esther 1, verse 1. And I kind of just, just imagine with me what's going on. I kind of want to build just really briefly kind of the cast of characters that are going on in the story of Esther. Now, it took place in the days of Xerxes. And Xerxes was the king who reigned in 
from India to Ethiopia, over 127 provinces. And this was kind of the height of the Persian Empire. And in those days, King Xerxes sat on his royal throne, which was at the citadel in Susa. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his princes and attendants and army officials of Persia and Media and the nobles and the princes of his provinces uh, being in his presence. And he displayed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor of his great majesty for many days, 180 days. That's like six months. So I kind of just want you to wrap around here what's going on and the opulence. When these days were completed, the king gave another banquet lasting seven days for all the people who were present at the citadel on Susa, from the greatest to the least in the court of the garden of the king's palace. And there were hangings of fine white and linen held by cords of fine purple linen on silver rings and marble columns and couches of gold and silver on mosaic pavement of stone, marble, mother of pearl and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels of various kinds. I don't know about you guys, but I want to be on the king's A-list here. I want to get invited to that party. There's a lot of good stuff going on. And uh, so this is kind of the scene here, too, of everything that was going on. And again, the, the king had a queen. Her name is Queen Vashti. And Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the palace, which belonged to the king. And on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded that the eunuchs who served the presence of the king to bring the queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown to display her beauty to all the people and the princes. For she was beautiful. But Queen Vashti refused to come into the king's command delivered by eunuchs. And this, this made the king very angry. And this was a king that you didn't mess with. Okay, this king, when you came into his presence, if you came unannounced and he, had, and he didn't approve of you, I mean, you were gone. Okay, you were put to death. Okay, this is the kind of the, the situation we were going here to. And Queen Vashti refused him, so she was gone. Okay, as you can imagine. And so the king said another day, he wanted all the beautiful women in the world. Okay. It's come and kind of have a queen tryout. It's kind of like The Bachelor, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but not that, not that I'm putting The, the Bachelor and the, the Book of Esther on the same page <laughs> at all. Okay? Again, so, so Vashti's successor was sought. Now, there was, a, there was at the citadel in Susa a Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, um, the son of Shemel, the son of Kish, the Benjamite, who had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the captives who had been exiled with Jeconah, the king of Judah, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had exiled. And he was bringing up, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter. And this is what we know about Esther. For she had no mother and father, and though the young lady was beautiful, we know she was beautiful in form and face. And with her father and her and, and her, when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. And when it came about, so it came about when the decree from the king, and he wanted to gather up all the ladies, Esther was one of these ladies. And again, you can kind of see the Lord positioning Esther for something here. And Mordecai as well, too. And the king gave a great banquet. And Esther's banquet for all his princes and servants. He also made a holiday for the provinces and the gifts according to the king's bounty. 
And basically, Esther had found abundant favor with the king, and he had made her queen. Okay? He positioned her. And he positioned Mordecai, too. And just bear with me, folks. We're almost there in some quick summary. In those days, while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, okay, there were two guards who became angry and sought to lay hands on King Azarus. And the plot became known to Mordecai that he told Queen Esther. And Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And then when the plot was investigated and found to be so, they were both hanged on the gallows. And it was written in the book of Chronicles in the king's palace. And after these events, when King Xerxes promoted Haman, okay, the son, Haman, and he was kind of risen into prominence. And Haman's probably one of the principal characters in here too, okay? And the king's, Okay, sorry, I went back up here real quick too, sorry. Um, and all the king's servants who was at the king gate bowed down to Haman and paid homage to Haman. For so the king had commanded concerning him. But listen to this. Mordecai neither bowed down or paid homage to Haman. And when Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down or paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. And he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him who the people of Mordecai were. And therefore, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, who were throughout the kingdom of Xerxes. And then Haman said to King Xerxes, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of all the other people, and they do not observe the king's laws. So it is not in the king's interest to let them remain. And if it is pleasing to the king, let it be decreed that they will be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those who carry on the king's business. So again, this guy, Haman, he is out to completely annihilate the Jewish population. Letters were sent by the couriers to all the king's provinces to destroy and kill and annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, women and children, in one day. And again, when Esther learns of Haman's plot... When Mordecai learned that all had been done, he tore his clothes, put on a sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. And he went out as far as the king's gate, for no one was to enter the king's gate in sackcloth. In each and every province where the command and the decree of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and wailing, and many lay hands on, on sackcloth and ashes. And then Esther's maidens and her eunuchs came and told her, and the queen withered with great anguish. And she sent garments to clothe Mordecai that he might remove his sackcloth from him, but he did not accept them. And Esther summoned Hathach from the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. So Hathach went out to Mordecai to the city square in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him. Listen closely, folks. This is what we really pay attention. The exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the, the text of the edict which had been issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show Esther and inform her and to order her to go into the king and implore his favor and to plead him, plead with him for her people. When Hathach came back and reported Mordecai's words to Esther, Esther spoke to Hathach and ordered them to reply to Mordecai. 
all the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the, to the king in the inner court who has not been summoned, he has but one law, that the king, that he be put to death unless the king holds out to him his golden scepter so that he might live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. And they related Esther's words to Mordecai. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not imagine that you and the king's palace can escape any more than all these Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And for you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Okay, that was a lot. (laughs) But again, here we have Esther. Okay, and she has been placed and she has been positioned for such a time as this. And she's coming up to a crossroads where she has to make a decision in what she's going to do. And folks, this is one of the things that I love. I love about God, too. And throughout history, God has chosen to work through people rather than independent of people. Isn't that amazing? And there's story after story after story in here, from beginning to end, how God has chosen to work through people. I don't know about you, but if I was God, I'd be like, "Uh uh-uh, okay, we're going to get this done. It's going to be my way. Here we go. Boom. But God is inviting us on this journey, each and every one of us, to become a part of this. And here we find Esther, another one of just a great, awesome story of Esther coming to the same thing. Folks, we know, too, one of my favorite verses, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We're created. We are God's workmanship. And he has gifted each and every one of us individually for special purpose, for his kingdom and his glory. In Psalm 31, Psalm 39 says, verse 13, you were, For you were formed in my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days that were there ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Folks, God has created each and every one of you for something amazing. He's positioned you. And again, throughout history, God looks for broken people for his purposes. And there was a book a number of years ago I came across. It's called Serious Times. It's by a guy, James Emery White. And James Emery White was a professor at Gordon Cromwell uh, Seminary. And he got the title of this book from a letter that John Adams had written to Thomas Jefferson, kind of at the end of their life. And they're kind of back on a, I don't know if you guys are familiar with those two, but they were kind of off speaking terms for a while. Uh, A really cool history, but... um, but John Adams was writing to Thomas Jefferson, and he said, My friend, we have lived in serious times. And you think about those two. I mean, those two guys, they really did. They lived in serious times. And here's the deal, guys. Like, whether you realize it or not, we are living in some serious, serious, serious times. And, and there's a lot going on right now. And God has positioned all of us, each and every one of us, with his gifts to do something amazing. 
And there was a quote out of this book, too. I want to see. I've got a slide on here, too. Listen to this and let it resonate with your hearts. It says, I must look comprehensively at my life. Again, I must take a kind of evaluation, kind of look at everything. And I must begin with certain investments, basic preparations that enlarge my capacities. And from this, I can be developed, matured, strengthened, and made ready. And then there must come a conscience, intentional positioning that situates my life for action. And there are key outposts where I must station myself, and from such places I can act, respond, and be used by the living God. Amen. And folks, how and where do you think about that? How and where are you positioning yourselves? And whether you guys know it or not, each and every day we're making decisions. We're making decisions that, that, that lead to the position that we're in. And some of those, you know, are very intentional. And then some of those are, are not so intentional. They're very defensive. And we can just kind of go through life so easily. Uh, and not even on cruise control, but just kind of playing defensive to life. And it happens so easily. And again, you have maybe a friends or, or marriages, and they come up to you and they say, man, I don't know how my marriage ended up this way, or I don't know how my finances ended up this way too, but it just happens so quick. And if you go back and you look and the decisions that they've made and in and out and through their life, it got to them and where they are in that position. And think about that. How are you positioning yourself? Um, and again, if you think about a roadmap, and if I, if, I, if I came to the valley and I'd never been to the Gunnison Valley before and I've wanted to drive to Gunnison, and I would look, and I'd get a map, uh, maybe. Actually, I wouldn't, but bear with me here. <laughs> but again, and we, we would follow the road into Gunnison because that would be the path to get there. And some of us have an idea of the path that we want to get there too, but... Um, and folks, a lot of these times, the, 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 trying to take the, the physical sense into, into our lives and every other aspect too, and this is, God has given us the most amazing roadmap for our lives to position ourselves. And it's right there in front of, our, in front of us. And he wants to position us for action, just like Esther. And we need to be involved in, in the things of God. Folks, I mean, whether you know it or not, we've been bought with a price. We've been bought with the blood of Jesus. We're not our own. And this is not only just coming into the, the things of God and the passions of God. This is not only obligatory, but it's, it's, it's wonderful. And I don't want you to think of this as obligatory. This is so wonderful. And when this happens, we find ourselves living for something so much greater than anything that we can do on our own. And yet so many of us just tend to miss it from time to time, don't we? And why is that? Why do we miss it? Again, folks, I'm just going to be honest. You think about the things and the reasons that we're kind of missing this stuff. And a couple of variables. It's inconvenient. You guys like to be inconvenienced? I don't like to be inconvenienced. I don't. And you think about that too. We view this sometimes as kind of like like an inconvenience. Right? We think about this. Okay, Jesus, you can have this room over here and this room over here in my heart. But this room right here? uh Uh-uh. It's mine. I got it. But he wants it all. And it's, it's the exact opposite of anything inconvenient at all. You think about, we have a landline because we live in CB South. And uh, I don't even know the number. And I think the only, pers- the only people that have the number, the telemarketers, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm just totally uh, convinced of this too. And they always call every, every time we're having dinner and the telemarketers call. And it's like this inconvenience. But it, and folks, 
It's kind of like, you know, your dad's in town and he wants to take you out to Susan or something. He's calling you, but you think, ah, oh, this is such an inconvenience. And the reality, you're having, you know, maybe Tio takeout for dinner. And not that there's anything wrong with Tio because it's good. But there's something so much better. And so much, you know, we can, we can just think of this as an inconvenience. And it's so not like that at all. Um, and again, our sin gets in the way too. And particularly our selfishness. I don't know about you guys, but I'm a pretty selfish person. Um, and it's something that, you know, I don't have, I've got to fight every day. And there's a quote by Tim Keller I love. It says, we are so instinctively and profoundly self-centered that we don't think we are. You guys ever think about that? <laughs> and it so easily gets in the way. And then there's the variable of risk. Well, if I put this out there, man, and here's the sad thing too, you guys. I'm just being completely honest. Very few people are willing to risk anything for God. We have this value of perceived security. And it's just so, and folks, everything can fall at a moment's notice. I mean, I think about this stuff too, the things that we're putting our hope and our value and our security in. And, and we're so thankful and blessed right now. We're getting to build a house, and this thing is awesome. But you know what? One day it's all going to burn. It's going to be gone. Hopefully not before it's supposed to, but it's going to be gone. And again, if I'm putting my hope, if I'm putting my identity in that, forget it. And there's a quote by Jim Elliott. And I think about risk. And this was, man, this is one of my heroes. And I love this. He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Think about that. You think about Esther. Did she have some risk on the line? Her life was on the line. You think she was inconvenienced a little bit? Yeah. But it was so much better. And again, just another quick variable. We have this misunderstanding. We're convinced of God's, we're not convinced of God's goodness and wisdom. We think that, you know, welcoming God's purposes in our lives is going to be, just make us miserable. Folks, I can testify this is the exact opposite. Because God can satisfy an adversity like none other. Even when those hard times do come, and they can come, that God can satisfy an adversity like none other. And again, and I, I know, man, and I, I'm preaching to myself here. We also have our own agendas, don't we? Let's just admit it, folks. We just want to do what we want to do sometimes. We don't want God to interfere. You guys ever been in that situation? This thought process? I'm just being totally honest. And folks, when this happens, we kind of take a detour on that position, on that roadmap, and we end up in a place that is just far from anything and amazing. And let me just say, your dreams are always bigger when we include God. They're always bigger than we can imagine. I mean, do you think Esther... Have her thought that she would save the entire Jewish population from annihilation, that she would be placed in that position. And God used her. And God looks for people that he can work through. And he's looking for, for people right now, each and every one of you. And folks, it's time just to, to take an all-in stance and to go all in and let it rip and take that risk and take that that. That stand. And one of, one of my favorite stories of going all in 
Cortez. You guys have all heard the explorer Cortez? Okay, so this is back in just after 1500, and Cortez left for Spain. And he had about, I think he had 11 boats, a little over 100 sailors, maybe 850 soldiers, okay? And they were going out uh, and set up um, colonization in, 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 uh, in South America. And they had two failed attempts before, okay? And, and his crew and his men, they're vastly outnumbered. There's millions of indigenous people there. And they're going to go and, and try and set up, you know, a beachhead and, and take control. And, and the legend has it, you know, when the, when the men got off their boats and they got up to the hill, they looked back, and their ships were burning. And Cortez had ordered all these ships to be burnt. And basically, he was sending a message to his men as there's no plan B. We're here. And folks, so often, so easily, we revert to plan B. We don't want to take that risk. And we just need to go after plan A. Amen? All right. And folks, it's time to draw a line in the sand. God has come to something huge in your lifetime. If you look back at the end of the Esther story too, you can't make this stuff up. Again, so Esther comes to the king. And again, she has favor with the king. And again, there's this, you know, this, this evil guy, Haman, and he is out to destroy Mordecai. And the whole time he's out to destroy Mordecai, Esther is also coming on behalf of the king to, to plead for her people. And I wish I had time to, I challenge you guys to go back into this story and, and spend some time in it because it is, it's the most beautiful, beautiful, rich story. But God delivers his people through Esther in the most amazing way. And God delivers Mordecai too. And Haman had built these gallows 50 feet high with a plot to kill Haman. And only like God can do, he woke up the king the night before. He couldn't sleep, so the king reads the book of Chronicles, and he remembers the story about Mordecai saving his life. And he asks, um, you know, has there been any um, um, rewards for this man who's done this? And so he, he sets up and, 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 and you know, going after Mordecai to kind of really reward him for what he did. And so Haman comes in the next day, and, and the king says, you know, what, what, what should I do for this? this man who's, who's done amazing things for me. And then Haman, you know, of course, spouts off to all these great things, not knowing it's Mordecai, his enemy that he wants to hang. And, and, and Haman is, is forced to parade Mordecai around town in celebration. And again, through the, the plot, you know, Esther reveals the, plot, the evil schemes of Haman, and Haman is hung on the gallows meant for Mordecai. It's just the most beautiful story, how God redeems his, his whole people. And folks, when you think about that question at the beginning, too, you think about uh, that first question that we threw up, right? Do you believe God has placed you in a strategic place to do amazing things for his kingdom? I mean, maybe some of you guys disqualified yourselves right away. I don't know. You said, man, my past is, you know, this, or I've done this, I can't do this, or no way, not me. But I, I got a list, and I, I want you to, this is, this is great. Um... For those of you who don't think that God could ever use you to do awesome and mighty things, listen to this. Rahab was a prostitute. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Lee was just flat out ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses couldn't speak well. 
Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ three times. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And Lazarus was dead. Okay. <laughs> Folks, there's no excuse. There's absolutely no excuses. Again, this book is a roadmap for just awesome positioning in your lives and how God wants to use you to do amazing things. And also, this book is an invitation to go on the most amazing journey that you've ever or ever will go on in your entire life. And it starts right now if you want it to. And just like Esther, you can be used to do amazing and mighty things that you could never even dream of if you include include God in the variable. Again, just like Mordecai told Esther, it's either you or somebody else to be a part of God's mission. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And God is on mission and he's going to accomplish it. And it's just up to us whether we not we want to join in this journey or not. One of my favorite quotes, and again, another one of my heroes is a guy by the name of William Carey. And William Carey was a father of modern missions. He lived from 1761 to about 1834. And this is one of his monikers. Uh, Accept great things from God and attempt great things for God. Folks, do you desire to be used by God? So we're going to come up now. We're going to have communion. And I just want you to think about that. And I want you to let just the, even the words of the songs that we were singing today just kind of resonate through your heart. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come brokenhearted. Let rescue begin. There's hope for the hopeless and all who have strayed. Come sit at the table. Come taste the grace. There's rest for the weary. There's rest that endures. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't cure. Amen? Let me pray for us. Dearly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you work through people, that you do not work independent of people, Lord, and that we get to be a part of your amazing journey. Lord, we were bought at a price. And that price is the blood of Jesus. And that you sent him, your one and only precious son, to die on the cross for us so that we might have access to you. Father, as we just think about this this morning, as we come to the communion table, that this just really just resonates with our hearts, what's been done. And what you have done for us, Lord that we can go on an amazing adventure with you and, and do amazing things, Lord, because of this, that we have access to you, Lord, through this. Father, you are good. We love you. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.